Hello and welcome back, fight fans, to the neutral corner. This is episode number 326. I am your host, Michael Montero, for the Ring Magazine, RingTV.com, and the Ring Digital YouTube channel, where you are watching me live right now around the world. As always, I remind you to make sure that you subscribe to the Ring Digital YouTube channel. Make sure you click that little notification bell. And as Torin Falk in the chat just said, hit the likes, you bastards. <laughs> Thanks, Torin. I appreciate it, brother. Um, guys, make sure that you're subscribed. Make sure that you, uh, again, click that notification bell and that you give us likes, ratings, shares, all that good stuff. If you missed the live video, that is every Monday, 5 o'clock p.m. Eastern time. It's all good not to worry. You can watch the video later on, or you can check out the audio pod. That goes out on Tuesdays around the world on my platforms, Montero on Boxing. Wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you uh, subscribe. Just find me, Montero on Boxing, the neutral corner. You'll find me there. Click subscribe. Likes, ratings, shares, all that good stuff. Um, guys, the fee for the show. We don't do ads here on the live video, right? 99.9% of the podcast you listen to, especially the live stuff, there's going to be all sorts of ads. A lot of the ads are unskippable. I know it's a pain in the ass, right? And I do that on the audio pod, full disclosure. But here on the Ring Digital, we don't do that. So what we ask, the fee, it's not monetary. All I ask is that you share the show. Let somebody know about it, all right? Every single week, not just once, every week. Get the word out there. We have built this thing up 100%. By word of mouth. That's awesome. And I have all of you to thank for that. So I want to express my gratitude. But I also want to remind you guys, pay the fee. Don't be cheap. Pay the fee. We already got a super chat from my man, Aaron. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, brother. He says, yo, Mike, your recap of AJ's behavior post-fight was spot on. Thanks, man. Wondering what you think of Ken and Big Vin retiring the boxing rat. What? I did not hear about that. I know um, I know Kenny Keith and Vince Cummings, they've talked about canceling the Boxing Rant podcast several times, and they've gotten close to it. Uh, I didn't know if they made it officially official or what, but look, it's hard to do a podcast, especially in boxing. And uh, this is somebody I was – it's interesting you bring this up, Aaron. Well, first of all, if if the guys at Boxing Rant really have retired and, and put that thing uh, to bed, you know, that was one of my favorite – podcast because it was told 100% unapologetically from the the perspective of two fight fans. Now we're not trying to gain favor with anybody or play politics or be be, be uh, politically correct any of it. So, you know, they rub some people the wrong way, that's fine, but the show was awesome. I loved it. And uh, I I had been a guest on that show before. I had had those guys as a guest here on my show before. It's one of the handful of boxing pods that I actually listen to. Uh, those guys are just funny, dude. They're funny guys. And the fact that they're not media is great because they could talk the way fans talk. And that's what they did. And fan is short for a fanatic. So you're allowed to have a little bit of fun if you're talking as a fan, right? So again, some people didn't like their delivery or whatever. I, I freaking loved it. I didn't agree with everything they said. Of course not. But I, I love their show. And, um, you know, best of luck to them or whatever they do next. I, I know that uh, especially Kenny, he has talked about doing some other stuff. But um, anyway, I was just talking to somebody uh, this weekend about doing a boxing podcast and how difficult it is because there are only so many fights to talk about. Right. And there's a lot of weekends. There's sometimes months at a time 
where the schedule is kind of weak and there's not a lot of big fight action to break down for the casual observer, right? So you're talking to diehard fans and you're also competing with a billion other podcasts and there's pretty much only action on Saturday night. Sometimes you get a Thursday night fight, a Friday night fight, for the most part, Saturday night. So you have to kind of, there's pressure to keep things entertaining and keep the listener, the viewer engaged um, when there's, there isn't always a whole lot to talk about, or there's not a whole lot of new information to talk about. And unfortunately, some people out there try to fill that void by creating conspiracy theories and getting like overly political and overly racial and stuff like that. And I really try to avoid that here on this channel. Now, there are times, of course, where those things do parallel to what you're seeing in the boxing universe and you have to talk about it. But some people, you know, go there on purpose and just make shit up. I mean, hello, love gate, <laughs> um, egg weight gate, you know, dent in the forehead gate and all sorts of other stuff. So, yeah, um, we don't do that here. And, you know, that sometimes that's to our detriment because uh, a lot of people out there want conspiracy theories and they want this really charged up rhetoric and they'll pay a premium for it. So there's other people out there kind of profiteering off of that nonsense, but we don't do that here. We just, you know, we keep it uh, to boxing and this is a show for everybody. We got a, a, a great following, you know, a dedicated following from literally all over the world. That's the coolest part about this show, man. I think we have a, a really good representation here on this show of the global boxing fan base. And I love that. I absolutely love that. And so I have all of you guys to thank. Um, so look, obviously, we got a whole lot to discuss, right? I got to break down a whole big weekend of, of action. Not a whole lot going on this weekend. So the preview portion will be small, but the review is going to be huge. So I know some of you guys want to get on the lines and talk. I'm not going to be able to get to the phones for a while. Now, I promise I'll try to get through all this as quickly as I can. But depending on what happens in the chat and everything else, who knows? Who even knows if we'll get to calls? I hope we can. All right. But I just want to put that out there. Prerequisite. So you guys know what's up. Um, a couple of you guys noting the cap. Yeah, man. You guys like this? Detroit Tigers cap. I, I realized when I was traveling recently, I went to a couple of ball games in different towns. And wherever I go, like I like to wear my Tigers cap and just fuck with people, you know, piss fans off. I saw when we were in Chicago last month and um, uh, the White Sox were playing the Tigers. And of course, I was repping, you know, I was wearing my Detroit Tigers jersey, you know what I'm saying? And I got some shit for it, but hey. So I was like, you know what? I don't have a new cap. My old, my cap had gotten trashed. So I just bought this one. And of course, I'm rocking some crunk gear. By the way, guys, um, I've shared the link to the real crunk gym. Make sure if you're following crunk on social, it should be real crunk. Okay. You, you should know. And one way to double check, if you're following them on Twitter, Instagram, whatever, you'll see that I'm following the real crunk. If I'm not following them, it ain't the real crunk. So unfollow those fucks because they're fake. This gear I'm wearing right here is from the actual crunk gym up in Detroit. All the proceeds from, from the sales of this gear goes to fund the Escot program. That was Emmanuel Stewart's youth development program, which they've restarted with their uh, with new owner of the gym Jeff Styers, uh, which is which is awesome, man. And and we've we've uh, well, I wrote an article in Ring Magazine about all that earlier in the the year. But I'm going to have those guys on the show. There's so full disclosure. There's a show. Um, there is a uh, amateur card that's coming up in Detroit at Crunk, the new Crunk, 
They're putting it on next month, September 17th. And the, the plan was for me to fight on that card. Couldn't find a willing opponent. I guess there was one guy, but he uh, changed his mind. I don't know why he, he found some shit of me online. Didn't like what he saw. I don't know. But um, it's, it's hard to get somebody in my age group to fight for free, right? Because you got to kind of be half crazy. If you're, you know, 35 and over to fight for free. So, um, yeah, I was going to fight on this card September 17th, but we could not find me an opponent. So that is off. Unfortunate. But um, perhaps that will be broadcast on the WBC live channel. I'm still trying to find out more information. They're scrambling to put that all together. I'll let you guys know. But at some point, we'll have the Crunk crew here on the show. Anyway, I bring up Crunk because I'm rocking some Crunk gear. And you guys mentioned my Detroit cap, Crunk, Detroit. It goes together like PBNJ, baby. All right. <clears throat> so that's what's up with that. Um, <laughs> Trey Anders says, Spiked Watergate. Of course. How could I forget Spiked Watergate? And look, listen, man, there are channels out there that made tens of thousands of dollars with that shit. Crazy. Uh, before I get started with news and notes, I want to uh, really quickly share my screen. Hey, there's two of me. Oh, my God. No, seriously, though. Um, guys, over on my personal channel, Montero Unboxing, if you're not subscribed there, make sure that you do. Um, I did a video Saturday night, maybe, I don't know, an hour after the big heavyweight fight, just giving my immediate thoughts. And I thought it would be 15 minutes. It ended up being over an hour. and. Um, I just gave it to you really, really raw right there. Check that out if you haven't already, okay? Um, I have since, you know, tempered some of my views that I had on this, this video. As it stands now, we're at almost 9,000 views, um, which is pretty good for me just rambling about my thoughts about the fight, you know? There's no fight highlights or anything like that. So if you haven't seen that yet, go check it out. But um, I really, really, you know, nailed Glenn Feldman pretty good on that. If you guys haven't seen it yet, I think you'll enjoy it. I talk about Joshua's post-fight rant and all that kind of stuff. And I'll get into that right here on the show. All right. So make sure that you do that. Okay. Let us move forward. And let's get into some news and notes. we got a couple things to discuss real quick before we get to the big review. So first and foremost, Artur Baturbiev injured again. And apparently his mandatory fight against Anthony Yard has been postponed. It's unfortunate, but Artur Baturbiev probably going to fight once this year. And as good as he is, and he's among the top, I don't know, dozen or so fighters in the world right now because he's just so dominant, he's injury prone. And he had issues in the past with his promoter up there in Canada that caused delays in his career. And then he's had injuries at different times, and that's caused delays. So he has not been the most active fighter. And activity matters in this sport. So, you know, a lot of people want to have Baturbiev uh, in their top 10 pound for pound. And so I, I just can't put him there. I can't. I understand he's unified a lot of the belts. He's probably the best light heavyweight in the world right now. And that's a pretty good division at the very, very top. But, and he's been dominant. You, you know, we are, we, we, no one will argue that. He's been absolutely dominant. But the guy's just not active enough. He's just not. You got to be active. Activity matters. And I know there's several fighters on the pound for pound list right now. That haven't even had a fight yet this year, like Terrence Crawford. And believe me, if Crawford doesn't get in the ring this year, he's off the list. But supposedly they're going to work that out between him and Spence for late this year. We shall see. 
Uh, anyway, that's what's up with him. I know a lot of people aren't crazy about the fight between Baturbiev and Yard. As long as Baturbiev's next fight after that is against the winner between the fight I'm about to talk about, <laughs> I think you know where I'm going next. Um, I'm good with it. So if next year Baturbiev fights Anthony Yard and then fights for Undisputed, all is forgiven. So um, I gave you guys a little hint. It's official. Dimitri Bivol, Zerto Ramirez have agreed to terms for a fight November 5th. It will be in United Arab Emirates. And of course, Zerto is the mandatory for Bivol's title. So this fight has to happen. The winner of this would be freed up for essentially a year at least. And you figure that they could go into a unification match with Baturbiev as soon as he takes care of his mandatory against Anthony Yard which still could possibly happen late this year. Because here's the thing. I forgot to mention this about Baturbiev. They haven't disclosed the nature of the injury. Is it a strained muscle or something? Or is it like something broke? Two very different injuries, right? If it's a strained muscle or you know something like that, a strained ligament, he can rest for a month and go right back to camp and maybe fight November, December. So it's possibly fights this year. Anyway, Dimitri Bivol, Zerto Ramirez, very, very good fight. In fact, it's one of the better fights to be made out there right now, just in terms of styles, where these guys are at. I know a lot of you out there are obsessed with undefeated records. You got two O's here. One of these O's has to go. And once again, as I mentioned before, the winner of this fight could be lined up for undisputed next year. Now, some people don't like the fact that this is in United Arab Emirates. They wanted to see this fight in Vegas or maybe Los Angeles or something. Look, man, bottom line is this. Neither one of these fighters brings a significant amount of money to the table. They just don't, including Zerto Ramirez. And you'd think, this guy's Mexican. He's going to have, he's going to bring that fan base with him. He's just not a big, big name. And that's really all his fault. Top rank was starting to build something there, but he didn't want to play ball with what they wanted to do. So now Golden Boy's representing them. I think that's a good matchup, um, you know, in terms of promoter fighter. But um, they really haven't built much there. The, the, the opposition has been weak, and there hasn't really been a build. There hasn't really been, um, I don't know, just there's there's no storyline there that they're really going with and building with him. So fan base isn't there, and Dimitri Bivol, because of where he comes from, I mean, that's that's going to hurt him right now in the Western world. Um, in terms of in terms of his market marketability, so they could take this to United Arab Emirates and go for the money, and that's what they're doing here. They're going for the cash. That, hey, if the money's there, it's prize fighting, right? Do it. So, um, you know, a lot of people. It's interesting to me that a lot of people got Zerto winning this fight. That's very interesting to me. On the surface, I can understand why some people think that because Zerto is a nightmare. He's huge for that division. He basically walks into the ring at almost 200 pounds. He's done that in multiple fights since he's been at light heavyweight. I don't know how he makes 175. So all that, those are factors that matter. I get it. But he hasn't fought anybody. At least nobody near the level that Dimitri Bivol has fought. And he certainly hasn't fought on the stage that Bevel has fought on. I think that matters more. I think the fact that Bevel has fought much better opposition, 
And yeah, Canelo Alvarez is a much smaller guy and all that. That's a massive fight where you're going right up against the establishment. You guys remember the scorecards for that fight, right? Beaver won nine or 10 rounds. I think the judges had it like seven rounds to five. They were trying to screw that guy. He knows that. So he's gone up against the establishment before in big events, fighting on the road that was here in America against in Canelo's adopted backyard. So, so he's been there, done that. And, and Zerto hasn't. So I give the edge to Bevel. That's the way I see that fight. Anyway, that's the way I see it up front. Maybe I'm crazy. Wouldn't be the first time I've been called crazy. All right, I got a super chat right here. Let me make sure I haven't missed any. We got another one from my man, Aaron. Thank you so much. He says, Mike, can we make Usyk versus Opatai happen in Brisbane next year, assuming both sides of Jai's jaw are healed by then? Dude, the only way that's happening is if Opataya goes up to heavyweight. That's the only way it's happening because Usyk is never moving back down. And the only fight Usyk wants right now is Tyson Fury. We'll talk more about that later. But he pretty much feels he's done everything you can do at Cruiserweight. I agree with him. At this point, he's on a mission. And if Usyk were to fight and beat Fury, he probably would retire. Honestly, he might do one defense in Ukraine, and maybe that could be Opataya. Who knows? Um, but that would be it. I don't think he's going to fight much longer. I really don't. Now, if he loses to Fury, then the floodgates open back up, and who knows? But, yeah, I don't see that fight happening, man. I really don't. What I want to see is your boy fight the other top cruiserweights in the division. I want to see him unify and clean that stuff out. By the way, um, I should mention this. I just saw a notice before I went live that apparently, and again, I don't think this has been um, confirmed, okay? But apparently, according to reports, Demetrius Andre is going to dump his WBO middleweight belt and go up to 168 and go forward with the Zach Parker fight. So I don't want to hear from any if this – I should I should mention, okay, if this is confirmed, all right, let me preface. If it's confirmed, and this is what he actually does, I don't want to hear from any Demetrius Andre fans bitching about this guy not getting a shot ever again. This is a guy who walked away from an opportunity to fight Charlo. This is a guy who has made terrible business decisions that have negatively affected his career, and here he had a chance to fight a mandatory that yeah, mainstream casual fans didn't don't know who uh, Janabek is. I get it, but the diehard fans wanted to see that fight. And this really would have been a chance for him to prove himself against an elite level, a guy we think is elite level middleweight and Andre's never fought one. And he walked away from it to go up to 168, fight Zach Parker. And I think the hope is to eventually get a crack at the, uh, WBO belt, which is now owned by Canelo Alvarez, who, of course, is fighting Gennady Golovkin for a third time next month. So that's the route Andre is taking, okay? And I, I'm just, I'm sick of the D Demetrius Andre fans. Your guy's had enough chances. He has squandered them. Some of the things have not been his fault. Billy Joe Saunders using performance-enhancing drugs and screwing that fight up, that wasn't Andre's fault, okay? So there are some things legitimately that were out of his hands. But most of the issues he's had in his career are his fault. And here's another prime example of it. 
if this comes out, you know, that this is the, the path that he takes. Um, and, and, and promoters have really bent over backwards to, to overpay the guy. And, and Matchroom overpaid him a lot. This dude has made millions and millions of dollars and nobody cares who he is. And I'm not saying that to bash Andre. I like him as a fighter. I think he's a good fighter. But dude, some of the fans have just driven me nuts over the years. And this is another case where um, he's just walking away from an opportunity, man, and kind of proving what he, who he really is as a fighter. Bottom line. Super chat from Savage M. Thank you so much. He doesn't really have a comment. He just posts a super chat. I appreciate that, brother. Or sister. I appreciate it. Thank you. Okay, so let's get into the review. And of course, this one's going to take a while. So um, let me get to some of the other action. All right, because I know some of you are just, just getting on the chat here. So I'll get to the Jeddah Saudi Arabia last, okay? Real quick, let's start in San Diego, California. Top rank on ESPN. Uh, of course, this was last Saturday, August 20th. We had three pretty big cards. We'll start in San Diego. In the main event, Emmanuel Navarrete scores a KO6 win over Eduardo Baez. This was the third defense of Navarrete's WBO featherweight title. Ends it with a body shot, a hard hook to the body. After pretty much, you could argue, losing, I'm not going to say every round, but it felt like it was 4-2 or 5-1 Baez at the time of the stoppage. Um, Navarrete was not looking very good. He was definitely down. I didn't, I didn't score this fight. I, I didn't watch it live, but I knew Navarrete got a KO. So when I looked at it, I already knew, you know, how, how it went. So I didn't like score it, but just watching the first half of the fight before that knockout, it felt like Navarrete was losing. So his power bailed him out here. I don't know what was up. I don't know if it was, you know, I mentioned this in the preview last week. He has been very, very active in recent years, you know, fighting three, four times a year. And maybe that's helped him make weight because it's a really unnatural weight that he makes. And by the way, it is going to affect his career negatively years from now. But him being out of the ring for a whole year, it's really, really hard to do whatever process he was doing before to stay so slim and make this unnatural weight. And perhaps that weight cut affected him. Perhaps he was a little drained. I don't know. He just didn't look very good. But the judges had Baez ahead at the time of the stoppage. I think two of them did. And one of them somehow had Navarrete ahead. By the way, this was a weekend of terrible scorecards. Terrible scorecards. And not just from one promoter, one platform, one commission. It was global, okay? And on this top rank card, there were several horrible scorecards. And correct me if I'm wrong on this, guys, but I want to say one judge had Navarrete up at the time of this stoppage, which was the wrong score. That just wasn't what was happening in the fight at that point. So that was the first, or not the first, but the, one of many bad scorecards. Definitely not the worst, though, of the night. Uh, Baez, as I mentioned before, born in Mexico, but lives in California now. Coming into this fight, he had two decision losses, but they were close. Mauricio Lara and Raiz Salim, they were close, they were competitive, and he was being very close and competitive with Navarrete. So Baez, even though he's got three losses on his record, he is one of these guys that is going to be uh, high risk, low reward, very, very tough. He's a tough fight fighter, and um, he's going to be tough for anybody he fights. So just remember that name, okay, because sometimes 
You see a guy with a few losses. He's only had a couple of fights um, that you've you're seen on American television or whatever. And you're like, oh, this guy's being brought in as the opponent. Maybe so. But not all opponents are, are created the same. You know what I mean? Are created equal. All right. Also on this card, Giovanni Santillan scores a unanimous decision in the 10-rounder over Julio Luna Avila, who was ha- having his first fight outside of Mexico. This was a close fight. Judges' scorecards did not reflect that. Well, two of them didn't. Luna threw and landed more punches overall. Santillan went to the body a lot more and more than doubled the punches landed to the body. So if you're scoring body punches, you edge this fight for Santillan. Okay. And I do think Santillan won the fight, but I think it was close. It was like 96, 94. And that's how I scored it. Judge Robert Hoyle agreed with me. 96, 94. That's fine. But two American judges, Rudy Berrigan and Alejandro Sheen, who was born in Mexico, but is an American judge. They both had this a shutout. These were quite possibly the worst scorecards of the weekend. Um, but you know what? I won't, I won't go that far because the right they had the right man winning. There was two scorecards that were actually worse. But to have this a shutout tells you who the company man was, who the company fighter was, right? Who the house fighter was. And, of course, that was Giovanni Santiago. So uh, Avila was being brought in to take an L. When you have two scorecards like that in a fight that's pretty close, most people saw it the way I did, six rounds to four for Santillan on the strength of the body punching because body punches do matter a lot, especially in pro boxing. More about that later. But these two judges, man, 100 to 90, what the hell were you smoking? What the hell, man? At least try to make it look like you're not ripping the kid off. At least try to make it look legit. If you're going to cheat like this, that's just terrible. All right, moving on to Hollywood, Florida, PBC on Showtime. And in the main event, really no surprise here, man. Sergey Lipinet scores an eighth-round stoppage win over Omar Figueroa Jr., who they were bringing in to try to get Adrian Broner a W. That's what they were doing here. Adrian Broner screwed that up. Sergey Lipinets, consummate professional, stays in shape in between fights, they brought him on in the undercard in the very the 13th hour because they thought Broner might pull some shenanigans. He did. They bump Lipinets up into the main event. He drops Figueroa in the second round, wins a stoppage uh, uh, victory here. Good for him. Doesn't really mean a whole lot, but a good quality performance by him. For Figueroa, he retired after this fight. Good. He needs to hang him up. Last two fights, I think this was his third fight he lost in a row, but the last two were, were particularly difficult to watch, right? He's just, it's, it's time. It's time. This is a guy who lives very hard in between fights, likes the drink, he likes the bottle, and, um, you know, he's blown up in weight and things like that before. Um, just, it's time to go. You know, hopefully he's saved some cash and he can enjoy retirement. Also on this card, let's talk about these scorecards. Um, Alberto Puello improves to 21 and 0, a Las Vegas based Dominican Republic native, scores a unanimous decision. Or I'm sorry, split decision. My bad. Split decision. It was the night of the split decision around the world. Split decision win over Bartizan Akhmadev out of Uzbekistan, who now lives and trains out of Los Angeles, 2016 Olympian. And this was for one of the 5,000 WBA belts at 140 pounds. No one gives a shit about that. The reason why I bring it up 
is because this is the second time that Akhmadov has been absolutely butt-fucked with no Vaseline for one of these PBC WBA belts. The WBA regular, <clears throat> regular belt, especially at 140, they just need to scratch off the WBA part and just write PBC on it or just write AL for Al. Al Heyman. Yeah, because this was just terrible. So, so Judge Lisa Giampa correctly scored this fight, 115 to 113 for Akhmadov. I should mention, this was a close fight. Competitive, close. That was another theme of, of the night around the world. All the fights were very competitive, right? There was only a handful of them that were pretty one-sided. This was close, competitive, but you got the feeling watching it that Akhmadev did just enough, enough, you know, a little bit more to win seven rounds. 115-113 was the right score. Somehow, Canadian judge Benoit Russell, who is one of the worst, consistently bad out there in some of these fights, and U.S. judge Mark Streisand. That's hilarious, Mark Streisand. I don't know if any relation to the famous singer. Had a 117-111, or nine rounds to three for Pueyo. Ladies and gentlemen, these were the two worst scorecards of the night. Absolutely disgusting. Not only did they have this one-sided, they had it one-sided for the wrong man. Now, those two scores I brought up on the top rank show, those were really, really bad, but at least they had the right guy winning. These were really, really bad and for the wrong fighter. So these were the two worst scorecards of the night. Uh, I mentioned... Benoit Russell, he's had several of these in recent years. And on the top-ranked show, Alejandro Rochin, he's had several of these in recent years. He's one of the worst judges in boxing. And I'm not trying to beat up on these judges as human beings, okay? I can have a lot of respect for them as human beings. There are a lot of boxing judges that, like, are, are good guys. And, and some of them have had good careers. Some of them served in the military. Some of them in the, the police force, firefighters, all kinds of stuff before they started getting into boxing judging. but some of them are just bad judges or they were once pretty good and they've kind of become company men, company women, or they're just past their prime and it's time to go. All four of these judges that I've mentioned so far, Rudy Berrigan, Alejandro Rochin, Benoit Russell, and Mark Streisand, all should be suspended. None of them should score a fight for at least the next 12 months, if not longer. But they will. They'll all be scoring fights by, by the end of this year. In fact, there's like, from what I've heard, zero indication that there will be any disciplinary action for any of these scorecards. Any. I don't even think the promotion has said anything. Top rank or um, I think this was TGB Promotions, the Showtime card. I haven't heard anything. And for the PBC specifically, we have seen multiple, multiple in the recent years, multiple bad scores like this and flat-out robberies involving these WBA belts, specifically WBA interim, WBA regular belts, there is a very concerning relationship between premier boxing champions in the World Boxing Association and the scorecards that we have seen in recent years. I could bring up several examples in multiple jurisdictions, whether it be here in Florida or up in Minnesota, right? We've seen a bunch. Texas. So that relationship is pretty poison. I'm just going to say it. It's fucking corrupt. And a few people in boxing have challenged it. 
raise their voice. There's a little bit of action. There's some uh, promises made by the WBA, and then it all kind of fizzles and, and just quiets down, and nothing's ever really done. So remember we were supposed to get rid of all these Reggie belts? Remember the WBA said that? Was that this year or last year? I can't even keep up with them. But there are several news articles and like the yes men in the media, the typical names, you know, the names went along with it. You know, people who have their jobs because of who their parents are or whatever, wrote articles and posted stuff talking about this. And they mentioned, you know, that the WBA is going to clean up their act this time. We're taking action. And even the ABC, the Association of Boxing Commissions, got briefly involved, right, for about three seconds. All that went away because this card had multiple WBA regular super interim whatever belts on the line, right? So that those shenanigans have not stopped. Still going on, and people are still getting robbed on these cards. Also, uh, this was not a robbery. Hector Garcia, another Dominican Republic native, improved to, uh, I think, 16-0 with a unanimous decision win over Roger Gutierrez out of Venezuela. Wins 130-pound WBA whatever belt it is. I can't, I don't even know for Garcia, man, two straight big wins for him. I mean, especially, I mean, he beat Chris Colbert earlier this year. That's a big win. This may be not as big, but there were a lot of people out there picking Gutierrez. I thought Garcia was going to edge it. I actually talked about that uh, on my, I think on my show Saturday night, I talked about that because one of you guys asked about it. So um, he's having a heck of a year, man. Heck of a year. Him and Bam Rodriguez. Having really good years. And, of course, Alexander Usyk. All right. A little water break. Before I get to this card in Jeddah, let me catch up on these Super Chats because I saw a couple of them. I'll make sure I don't miss any of these. We got uh, another one from Savage. Thank you so much, Savage M, with the Super Chat. He says, hey, Mike, where do you see Anthony Joshua going now? Great question, man. Um. I'll talk about this in just a second here, you know, in more detail, but Anthony Joshua, don't get it twisted. People, he is still a huge brand in this sport and his next fight. And they're actually talking about getting in the ring in December in the UK. He's going to get back in the ring in December against a top 25 ranked guy. And it will do numbers. It'll do ratings over there in the UK. Uh, He'll put butts in seats. Listen, a fight between Joshua and Deontay Wilder is still massive. That's a massive fight. A fight between Joshua and Tyson Fury, if that happens at some point in the future, is still massive. There are multiple fights for him out there. Maybe him and Joe Joyce one day. That's big. There's still plenty of fights for dude. So uh, they just need to take a step back. And let him kind of redevelop a little bit and stop worrying about world titles and all that. I know that they're like part of the business of Anthony Joshua. Those belts are tied up right now. Let Usyk do his thing. Usyk and Fury are going to fight probably next spring. So let, let them handle the belts. And if you're Joshua, man, just stay patient and work on some things. Just take a step back. That's it. He's still a massive brand. Sam with another super chat. I appreciate it, brother. He says, Pueyo versus Akhmedev, fight of the year candidate, nonstop punching, 117-11 too wide. But Akhmedev was all body shots. Pueyo was cleaner head shots. That's a fair point. L- listen, if you want to edge the fight to Pueyo, that's fine. 
if, if you want to give it to him 115, 113, or have this a draw or something, a lot of people thought Akhmadev won this fight. A lot of people. 117, 111, though, dude. I just can't. I just can't. And that, that just screams of a scorecard that was filled out before the damn fight. And Akhmadev is a guy that's been screwed before, right? In his fight against Mario Barrios. He won that fight and he got screwed too. Super chat from Tareen Falk. Thank you so much, brother. It says, Mike, what is going on with the IBF? I can't recall the last time an IBF champ fought a mandatory. They're starting to move like the WBA a little. Well, in the heavyweight division, they just had an eliminator between Hergovich and Zhang. So now Hergovich is the mandatory for Usyk. And I'll tell you this, Usyk has to fight him within a year or he'll get stripped. The IBF don't play when they actually finally name a mandatory. They don't play. The champion has to fight them. There are no exceptions. You know, um, Fury for agreeing to do the rematch with Klitschko, I think, before he got out of it, um, got stripped of his IBF belt right after winning it. And I think that's how it became vacant and how Charles Martin got it. And eventually Anthony Joshua got it. So there's a recent example, but I, I will say this, Toreen, the IBF, some of the rules are kind of weird. And there's a lot of divisions where like the number one spot in their ratings is just vacant. They'll have weird vacancies in their ratings and stuff, but they follow their rules more consistently than the BA in the BC for sure. They follow their rules. Okay, let's talk about this fight over or this card in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. Let's go on the undercard first. Uh, Badu Jack, split decision win over Richard Rivera. Uh, this was a fight that was a little closer and tougher for Jack than a lot of people predicted, which was kind of a theme of the evening. Uh, Rivera came into this fight 21-0, Connecticut-based fighter, undefeated but a really weak resume. One-star opponents or no-star opponents for the most part. So this was a huge leap in opposition, but he fought pretty well. Uh, Jack, you know, he deserved the, the win, but he kind of skated by in this one, by the skin of his teeth, as they say. Gets the W. We'll, we'll see where he goes from here. Uh, Callum Smith, KO4 win over Matthew Balderleek. This was uh, Balderleek's first fight outside of France. This was a WBC 175-pound eliminator. So... Smith lining himself up for an eventual crack at Artur Baturbiev. You know what? I don't mind that fight. On the surface, you would think that Baturbiev would just mow Callum Smith down. But so far, he has showed pretty good power at light heavyweight. So, And he has height. He has length. And now he's not killing himself to make 168. That extra seven pounds makes him look stronger. He's actually stronger and more powerful at 175 than he was at 168. It's rare that you see a guy move up in weight and his power increases, but it has in the case of Callum Smith, at least so far. He's been in there against lesser opposition. I get that. But he has scored some nice knockouts. So um, he's going to – he's got himself lined up for an eventual crack at Beterbiev. Uh Co-main, heavyweight action. Let's talk about this one, man. Philip Hergovich, unanimous decision against Zali Zhang. And this was an IBF eliminator, as I just mentioned. Scores were 114-113 and 115-112 twice. Now, keep in mind, 
that Hergovich was dropped in the first round. So he loses a point for that. So essentially, these scorecards were 7-5 Hergovich and 8-4 twice for Hergovich. Okay, keep that in the back of your mind because a lot of people thought that Zhang won this fight. And I can see why a lot of people felt that way. But I've had a, a second look at this fight. And again, you can make a case for Zhang. But it really, really comes down to what you prefer as a judge. Do you prefer the guy landing one or two hard power punches around? Or the other guy landing a dozen or so medium punches around? Um, the guy whose offense you know, landing a dozen or so punches around is forcing the other guy to stay defensive and wait for one big punch. From what I saw, I think Hergovich edged this fight. And I know a lot of people disagree with me. A lot of people think that Zhang won. My question to you guys who think Zhang won, are you sure that you're scoring this fight accurately? Or are you grading on a curve because you had such low expectations for Zhang coming into this fight? And this is something that I see all the time. People score fights, and I, I've, I'm sorry I'm going to repeat this for the 8 billionth time, but they score fights with memories. As a judge, you're supposed to be a robot and have no memory of what you've seen before. No preconceived notions, no expectations. You score each round like its own three-minute fight like you had never seen the fighters before. When you score the 10th round of a fight, you shouldn't remember what happened in the first nine rounds that preceded it. Seriously, that's how you got to score. And I think if you guys scored it that way, and you looked at the fighter that was being more active, consistently active, particularly through the second half of the fight, I think you'd find a way to give Hergovich seven rounds in this bout. Do you prefer volume or power? Keep this in mind as we talk about the main event, because a lot of the people that are saying, oh man, Zhang, yeah, he only landed one punch around, but it hurt Hergovich. It stopped him in his tracks. It pushed him back. A lot of those same people had Usyk winning big in the main event, even though his punches weren't hurting Joshua. It was Joshua's punches that hurt, hurt Usyk. So there's kind of this flip of the script between these two fights. For me, I'm just staying consistent. And I'm not saying it's apples to apples, all right? The comparison. I understand there's some nuance there, but I'm just trying to be consistent. I tend to reward volume over one or two big punches or one or two flashy flurries. Around is three minutes. Who's working in those three minutes? Who's winning those three minutes? Now, don't get me wrong. The first round was a classic example where Hergovich was clearly winning the first round for two minutes and 30 seconds, absolutely no doubt dominated the first round. And then at the very end, he steps in on Zhang, who is looking for one big punch. Zhang's a southpaw, so his lead hand is the right hand, and he lands a check right hook right in the temple and drops Hergovich. Hergovich wasn't hurt. He was caught off balance, and it got his attention. He was buzzed, but he wasn't like badly hurt. And because of that, suddenly it's a 10-8 round for Zhang. But hear me out on this. If a judge scored that round 9-9, I wouldn't be mad at them because Zhang did nothing for the first two minutes and 30 seconds. He landed one punch in that round. One. Is that enough to give him 10-8? 
Or do you take a point from Hergovich and make it a 9-9 round? Now, I, I scored a 10-8 for Zhang, but I was watching the fight with four or five other people, and several of them, and these are guys who have been involved in boxing for 20-plus years, scored at 9-9, and I had no beef with that. So just keep that in mind, all right? Um, punch stats, because I know you guys love punch stats. Over the last six rounds, rounds seven through 12, and I should mention, Zhang's best round was the sixth round. That was his most dominant round, all right? It, again, there are parallels somewhat to the main event. After Zhang's most dominant round, Hergovich won the last six rounds. He went on to sweep the remaining rounds after that. Hergovich outlanded Zhang 123 to 61 over the last six rounds. Now, I understand that at least 5, 10, maybe 15, 20 of Zhang's punches were really powerful and wobbled Hergovich, moved him back, forced him to reset. But guys, Hergovich more than doubled. Let me repeat that. More than doubled Zhang's output. And that's just punches landed. That's not even including punches thrown. So again, how do you reward a guy who's laying back waiting for one punch when another guy's doubling his output? And I will add this. If Zhang had Hergovich so hurt and Hergovich was in such dire straits, why couldn't he drop him? Why couldn't he knock him out? Why? How did Hergovich find a second wind and actually, statistically speaking, throw and land more punches in the second half of the fight versus the first half if he was so hurt? The logic doesn't add up to me. And people are saying, well, Zhang was tired. Zhang was tired. Okay, they were both tired. But if Zhang's so tired, that means his punches aren't having the effect that some of you maybe believe they had. Body language is a motherfucker. <clears throat> and when Zhang would get hit, he really wouldn't move because he's a mountain of a man. Hergovich, because he was so off balance and so awkward and so stiff and fundamentally makes massive mistakes on defense, when he would get hit, it looked really impressive. He'd move back. His head would wobble. He'd take a few steps. His body language was poor. But after getting hit and wobbled, he'd land an eight-punch combination. And I get it. They were all arm punches. But it was enough to back Zhang off and keep him tentative. And he wouldn't throw for 30 seconds. How do you give a round to that guy? You can make a case. But some of, some people were acting like this was some egregious robbery. And I just didn't see that, man. Hergovich, overall in the fight, landed 208 of 705 punches. Zhang landed 154 of 395. So you had one fighter throwing more than 300 more punches than the other and landing 50-plus more punches. Also, Hergovich landed 68 body punches. Zhang landed eight. If body punches matter, and if we go all the way back up to my fight, the top-ranked card, Giovanni Santiago versus Julio Luna Avila, I said body punches matter, right? If body punches matter, Hergovich won that category 68 to eight. Do jabs matter? Because Hergovich won that category 40 to five. So body punching 
and jabs were not just won by Hergovich, they were dominated by Hergovich. Okay? It wasn't two to one, it was like 10 to one. And then power punching was pretty close. 168 to 149 for Hergovich. Obviously, Zhang's had more effect. But guys, I looked at this one again. And so the clear rounds that you give to Zhang that are just clear, definitive rounds for Zhang, which let's give him the first round because of the knockdown, even though he didn't do a whole lot. And then three, six, and nine. Those, that's four rounds for Zhang that to me were clear. Hergovich had five clear rounds. Go back and watch the fight. Two, seven, eight, 10, and 11 were all clear Hergovich rounds. That's five. That means you are left with four. No, one, two, three, four. Yeah, four swing rounds. Let me make sure I got that right. Yeah, one, two, three, four. One, two, three, four, five. I'm sorry, three swing rounds. I'm missing something here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Three swing rounds. So depending on how you score those swing rounds is who you have winning this fight. If you kind of split the swing rounds up, you have Hergovich edging this fight. And that's how I had it. Now, eight rounds to four Hergovich. Yeah, that's probably a bit too much. Seven rounds to five. I don't think either man won more than like seven rounds in this fight. But if I was going to shade this either way, I'd shade it to Hergovich. And honestly, Zhang just let himself get outworked down the stretch. I had Zhang ahead halfway through, but because of the knockdown, especially, but through the late rounds, he just let himself get outworked, man. I wouldn't mind seeing a rematch and everything, but um, I was cool with Hergovich getting the decision here. I was. Now, I'll say this about Hergovich. Boy, is he predictable. He started to mix it up in the late rounds and actually throw combinations. The whole fight, I was watching with my coach and a few other guys from the gym, and I was screaming, dude, right uppercut. Zhang is wide open for it. Anthony Joshua would flatten Zhang because his best punch is the right uppercut, and Zhang's wide open for it. His head's right there on the line. And Hergovich didn't throw it till like the 11th round. And as soon as he started throwing it, he landed it every single time. Hergovich can be hit with uh, a right hook. Zhang landed that throughout the fight. By the end of the fight, it, it took, I don't know, to the 10th round maybe for Hergovich to make an adjustment and start moving away from Zhang's right hand. And he was moving into his straight left, but Zhang's straight left isn't that good. His best punch, at least in this fight, was that right hand, that right hook up top. And once Hergovich finally started seeing it, it took him about 10 rounds to adjust. Uh, he had more success. But man, Alexander Usyk will box circles around this man. He will absolutely box circles around him. Usyk will not be able to hurt Hergovich, won't be able to hurt him at all, uh, but he can outbox him, right? It'll be competitive because Hergovich is so big and strong, and his straight punches are powerful. By the way, Zane could have ended this fight if he had gone to the body once when he had Hergovich huffing and puffing and backing up Zhang would headhunt and he wound up on every punch like it was a home run shot if he just would have pounded the body a little bit then went back upstairs Zhang could have absolutely won this fight and done it by knockout I'm convinced of that but he didn't do it so Zhang fought better than a lot of you thought he was going to fought but listen 
I didn't think Zhang was as bad as a lot of you guys do. I knew Zhang was better than that, but I will admit, I thought Hergovic was going to get him out of there. I didn't think it was going to be the second round like some of you thought, but I thought by six, seven, eight, yeah, he's going to get him out of there. I did think that. Um, so he did exceed my expectations as well. But also Hergovic um, got exposed to a certain extent. Now, maybe he took Zhang lightly. You know, th that's possible. But um, I don't know, man. Like, there's just not enough variety of offense from Hergovic. And boy, is he easy to hit. I got to say, though, a fight between Hergovic and Joe Joyce would be fun as hell. That would just be a fun heavyweight fight. Um, okay, let's get to the main event. All right. <clears throat> Alexander Usyk improves, improves to 20 and 0 with a split decision win over Anthony and Joshua, who falls to 24 and 3. This is for the ring, WBO, IBF, and WBA titles, a rematch between these two. The first fight was last September 25. So, scores. Victor Fresenko, uh, Jesus, I cannot talk today. Victor Fesheko had a 116-112 for Usyk. Good score. Steve Gray, British judge, had a 115-113 for Usyk. I can deal with that score. And Feldman, somehow, some way, scored this fight 115-113 for Anthony Joshua. And there are a lot of Anthony Joshua apologists out there who are finding a way to justify Glenn Feldman's scorecard and not hold his feet to the fire here. Listen, once again, common theme. I think a lot of you watching this fight saw that Joshua did better, and you automatically think because a guy is doing better, that means he's winning a round or perhaps winning the fight. Just because somebody's exceeding your expectations or looking better than they looked the last fight does not mean they're winning the round, does not mean they're winning the fight. And a lot of you guys need to just check yourselves on that. Now, I gave Joshua four rounds in this fight, but it was hard to give him four rounds. And once again, I go back to volume. Alexander Usyk won this fight by outworking Anthony Joshua, by throwing and landing more. Did Usyk's punches have half the effect that Joshua's body punches did? No, they didn't. They didn't. But you don't necessarily win around because your punch is heavier if you're out, you know, if you're being outworked. And that's what I saw in this fight. So uh story of this fight really was Anthony Joshua had a big ninth round. His best round out of all 24 rounds he has had against Usyk. So at 72 minutes, he has boxed with Usyk. His best three minutes were in the ninth round of this fight in Jeddah. And it really looked like Usyk could be in trouble. It really, really did at the end of the ninth. It was somewhat similar to the first fight where uh, Joshua had a big ninth. Usyk came out in the tent and looked great. It was the same thing on this night, except it was heightened. Joshua had an even better ninth. Usyk had an even better tenth. Usyk came out in the tenth and absolutely dominated. And in fact, Usyk was more dominant in the tenth than Joshua had been in the ninth. And then Usyk went on to clearly win the 11th and 12th to take this fight. Even if you were trying to rape this guy and rob him, the championship rounds were so clearly won by Usyk that you couldn't take the fight from him, even though Glenn Feldman did. 
Um, and that's why he's a compromised judge. He's corrupt and he needs to go. He's become a company man. By the way, I, I, got, I completely forgot about his scorecard for uh, Manny Pacquiao's fight against Keith Thurman. Remember that one? He had Keith Thurman winning that fight. One of you guys out there on Twitter reminded me of that. And there's been several in recent years, right? And it was clear that PBC wanted Thurman to beat Pacquiao because they would rather have Thurman and, and Spence and, and go that route. Um, and Glenn Feldman plays ball, right? So he's a compromised judge. Again, nothing against him as a human being. He's compromised. Bye-bye. He needs to be gone. Needs to be gone. All right. Some facts here from our good friends at CompuBox. And listen, guys, you don't score fights with punch stats, but punch stats are relevant. They give you an indication to the action that took place. Usyk landed the most punches ever on Anthony Joshua for any Anthony Joshua opponent. Usyk landed 170 punches. There's more punches than any opponents ever landed on Joshua. He also landed more in one round, the 10th round, where he landed 39 punches than any Joshua opponent has ever landed in one round. 39 punches landed in the 10th. Now, I don't care if they're not as powerful as Anthony Joshua's punches. 39 punches landed upstairs, downstairs, right hands, left hands on a guy who's tired. That's going to hurt him. I mean, Joshua was clearly wobbled a couple times, right? Not hurt, but wobbled. So big round there from Usyk. And uh, let's talk about the championship rounds, 10, 11, 12. Usyk landed 79 of 232 compared to 29 of 149. So Usyk threw more and landed more than double. Yet somehow, some way, Glenn Feldman gave the 12th round to Anthony Joshua. And the reason why I'm going to use the word corrupt for Glenn Feldman and say that he is a compromised judge, I'm putting that out there on the record. I don't give a fuck who it pisses off. Giving that 12th round to Anthony Joshua when he so clearly lost it, that's called an insurance policy. That's where you, you, in the back of your mind, you're like, I, I was supposed to have Joshua winning. I'm not sure. Uh, let me give him the 12th just to make sure he won because I think I got this about even right now. Let me give him the 12th. That's just him making sure he got the right guy. That's what that was. So, yeah, uh, Feldman needs to go. He's about a bag of shit at this point. All right. Let's talk about after fight behavior from Anthony Joshua. A lot has been made about his behavior. So, Joshua had this bizarre rant, and I'm not going to talk about the details of the rant. I did that in my video Saturday. But also, he grabbed the Ukrainian flag from Usyk. Last time I checked, Joshua was not Ukrainian. Took the flag off of Usyk's back without asking, draped it over his back, grabbed his ring magazine belt, his WBA belt, threw him out of the ring, and then proceeded to go on this bizarre rant, grabbed the mic. It lasted, it had to be at least five minutes. Went out of the ring, came back in, was jawing at people in the ring, was jawing at people outside the ring, was jawing at people backstage, certain fans and stuff like that, as he walked back. Uh, so a lot of people have talked about this, myself included. Um, should Anthony Joshua be suspended? Does this mean he's a terrible human being? No. He had a bad moment. He reacted poorly to a loss. Does it indicate, does it show some glimpses of his character and maybe some flaws there? Um, yeah. 
But guess what? We're all human beings and we all have flaws in our character, myself included. We all do. His breakdown just happened to be in front of millions of people, right? So, so that's unfortunate. The people that really let Joshua down were his teammates, his entire team. I get that Joshua is a big guy and he was being violent in that moment because he was shoving people and, and acting like he wanted to fight. And it could have caused a riot. I get it. But somebody on his team, in fact, three or four people should have grabbed his ass and calmed him down. They didn't have the balls to do that. They didn't have the heart to do that. And it lets you know what's wrong with that team. You have a lot of yes men. And I'm not going to compare it to the Deontay Wilder situation. It's not that dire. But there are parallels. I'm not going to compare it to the Tyson Fury situation. But there are parallels. What Joshua did was unprofessional. It was... What I saw was a spoiled, entitled, privileged, nine-figure athlete. When I say nine-figure, I'm talking about not seven figures, not eight figures. This dude is worth over $100 million, okay? He is among the most privileged, wealthy, one one-hundredth of a percent of human beings on earth. And he's used to getting things his way especially when he goes the extra mile and works really hard. It didn't go his way. Even though they had Gled Feldman in their pocket, even though they went to Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, even though they had Usyk coming off a war and off a one-year layoff, even though Joshua fought a little dirty at times and went low and roughed him up a little bit and even hammered him in the back of the head once and Louis Pabon, the referee, said nothing. Right, Even though all those things, it still didn't go his way. And he reacted like a petulant child. So I'm not going to beat up on a guy, but I'm also not going to apologize or feel bad for him. Once again, Joshua is doing pretty well in life. He's going to be okay. He complained about pressure. Oh, the pressure. Look, yeah, he does have a lot of pressure on him. I, I, I get it. Um, do you think Alexander Usyk might have a little pressure on him? Just maybe. The difference is one guy was groomed and molded and created under pressure. One guy's never really had to deal with it, not to the same level. And I understand that, you know, there, there are some political undertones to all this. and I'm not even going to go down that road here on this, this show. All right. We can maybe talk about some of that stuff on my channel. But the facts are, I'm talking about facts now. Usyk has had to earn it the hard way. And Joshua hasn't. That doesn't mean Joshua hasn't gone through hardships. It doesn't mean he hasn't gone through some rough times. And yeah, he was busted selling drugs about a decade, a little over a decade ago, I think, and did some community service time. It's not like this dude did hard time in a butt fuck you in the ass prison or something. He got a little slap on the wrist and he was going the wrong direction and he cleaned it up. Do you think anyone would have helped him clean it up and taken him under their wing if he was five foot six, 300 pounds? No, but he's a six, six, 250 pound Adonis. So yeah. 
people took notice and said, you know what, let's just try to clean this kid up and get him in a boxing gym. And it's worked out pretty well for him. Props to him for that. He's done fantastic. But he's also had a lot of people give him an extraordinary amount of opportunities that 99% of human beings, regardless of race, creed, color, background, will ever get. That's the fact. And a lot of it is because he's a 6'6", 250-pound Adonis. Now, he's worked very hard. He's earned what he's achieved in this sport. Can't take that away from him. And British boxing fans should be proud of the kid. And I still think he has a very bright future. He's still the third best heavyweight in the world right now. It's Tyson Fury, Alexander Usyk, and then it's Anthony Joshua, and then it's the field. He still beats every other heavyweight right now, probably. You can make an argument maybe with Deontay Wilder and stuff if Wilder lands that right hand. But if Joshua can avoid it, he knocks Wilder out. So being the third best heavyweight in the world, the fourth best at worst, still pretty damn good. Joshua's next fight, he will make eight figures. He will put tens of thousands of butts in the seats. Millions of people will watch it. He's going to be okay. I got to give him credit for apologizing the following day, Sunday, on his Instagram, apologizing to Usyk. He didn't really apologize to Usyk, but he just congratulated him and just said, hey, sorry to everybody for my actions. I really let myself down, that sort of thing, right? I give him credit for that. And I brought up names like Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury earlier. Look, Deontay Wilder for over a year made excuses for why he lost that fight to Tyson Fury. He turned that shit into a race war on YouTube. Really, I, I do blame Wilder for a lot of that because he was the face of it. He'd go on those YouTube channels and rev people up. He played into the, the glove gate thing and the spiked water gate and the egg weight gate, all that stuff, right? He played right into it. He didn't, he didn't do what Anthony Joshua did essentially and, and say, hey, man, I threw a fit. I'm sorry, guys. I own this loss. I'm going to be better. No, Wilder didn't do that. Tyson Fury, the more time that goes on, I'm more and more convinced that the mental illness and all this is fucking bullshit. Sorry. I think the guy clearly is a little off. There's some things going on. The wiring's a little off in his mind, of course. I'm not saying he doesn't suffer with some depression and things, but the timing of it seemed to really be convenient. When he was being investigated by UCAD and VADA for performance-enhancing drugs, for using steroids, um, the, you know, the same year he became heavyweight champion, not disclosing it, all those things. That's when he gets mentally ill and needs to take a couple years off to clear all that shit up. The timing of it seems to be, I don't know, because the mental illness didn't come back during any of the three fights against Deontay Wilder. And there had to be some stress there. So, you know, it's, it's harder for me to respect those guys. Let's hold Anthony Joshua accountable to his actions. What he did wasn't cool. And the people apologizing for, well, he gave Usyk props in the ring and said, man, you're, you're, you got skills in boxing. You need skills to win. I got character. Now, he also grabbed his flag and his belts and stole his moment and ranted like an asshole and made a million excuses. He was a dick. He was a douchebag, but he owned it. He apologized. Those other guys I mentioned, 
they kind of scammed and schemed and never apologized. Wilder's never owned that the losses to Fury. Never, right? And Fury's never owned the fact that he was on steroids. He said it was wild boar. <laughs> so give Anthony Joshua some credit. Hold him accountable. You, you can bring up the reality of what he did because it's relevant, but also give the kid credit for apologizing and owning it. And let's also acknowledge the fact that you know, um, there is a lot on his shoulders. And his 15th pro fight, I think I have this in my notes. Yeah, his 15th pro fight, he fought Dillian White. That's a pretty good win in your 15th pro fight. And then in his 16th pro fight, he fought for a world title. Now, that was bullshit. That was no better than one of Gervonta Davis's titles. Let's be honest. When he beat Charles Martin. But look, man, he fought Vladimir Klitschko in his 19th fight. Joseph Parker in his 21st fight. Alexander Poveke in his 22nd fight. And then the two fights with Ruiz were 23-24. And then Usyk 26-27. So all in all, this kid has had a pretty good run. In terms of the names on his resume, Anthony Joshua has the best resume post-Klitschko in the heavyweight division. Now he's lost a few of those. But the kid deserves credit. He does deserve credit. However. He deserves his feet to be held to the fire when he fucks up. So some of the Anthony Joshua fans are pissed off at me for my opinions about his bizarre behavior and all this kind of stuff. Look, man, if I got, if I'm going to be critical of Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder and Glenn Feldman and Alejandro Rochin, right? All these judges and, and certain promoters and everything in the WBA and I, I can't be critical of Anthony Joshua when he acts like a fucking 250-pound spoiled toddler. Come on. Grow the fuck up. All right. Whew. That was a lot. Now that I've offended half my audience. All right. A couple super chats. Let's see. Um, Sam, thank you so much. He said, uh, great fight. He's referring to Hergovich Zhang. said, Herg's chin saved him. I agree with you. Zang way better than I thought. Herg won, but both guys would give any heavyweight a tough night. I agree with you, man. I, to me, both well, Zang's stock skyrocketed from where it was after this fight. And Hergovich has dropped, but he did show that he's got a beard, dude, to take those punches. I, 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 who, who's going to hurt him? We know Usyk can't. I don't think Fury can. I don't think jo Joshua and Wilder have a chance, but he took lead check right hooks he didn't even see from Zhang right on the temple. You know if he were to fight Wilder, you know where every punch is coming. You know what he's going to do. So I, I don't know, dude. He showed a beard, and Zhang showed a lot. Zhang should have just went to the body, and, and if he did, he could have ended that fight. Mark Ashley with the super chat. Thank you, Mark. He said, Zhang took that seventh round off. Worst round two, 100%. You know why? He shot his wad in that sixth round, and he didn't get Hergovich out of there. And I agree, he took it off because he was so winded, but it let Hergovich back in the fight. Uh, that's when Zhang should have jumped on him. He also, once again, should have went to the body. Should have got inside, pushed uh, Hergovich on the ropes, and just bam, bam. Bam, pound that damn body, dude. Didn't do it. Didn't do it. Sam, with another one, thank you again, Sam. He said, some of your followers are calling Zhang a bum, 
What the fuck did they watch? The dude is good, strong and durable, strong chin also. I agree with you, Sam. Look, too many people overuse that word. Put Zang in there against, how many fights does Deontay Wilder have? Let me, let me check this. Let me just check because I want to make sure I get this right. Because I'm going to tell you how many of them Zang would beat. <laughs> if Zang's a bum, Zang would beat Robert Hellanius. I, he'd brought Luis Ortiz. He'd have a chance to beat Luis Ortiz right now. Um, I, he beats Brazil, Stavern, Washington, Ariola, Spilka, Duapas, Molina, Gavern, Scott, Firtha, Lykovich, Harrison. He beats all. Let's see. Wilder has had 45 fights. Now, three of them, he's, he would beat 40 of Deontay Wilder's opponents, at least 40 of them. You're going to call that guy a bum? What does that say about Deontay Wilder? I'm just saying. That version of Zhang would beat at least 40 of Deontay Wilder's opponents. At least 40. Sam with another super chat. He says, AJ was even going into the 10th, and again he gassed out. It got worked over in the 10th and lost the fight in the 10th through 12th. I disagree with you that he was even going into the 10th. I did not see that. I thought by that point... I, I thought he was down five rounds to four going into the 10th. I had it five, four Usyk going into the 10th, but um, almost even I'm with you. Close fight, winnable fight, absolutely winnable fight. If Joshua had one more big round, like he had in the ninth, if he had followed up in the 10th and had a, a big round again. Yeah, dude, I'm with you. I'm with you. He gassed out. That was part of it. But also, dude, it's about will. And Usyk just has a different will in him. There's a will to win there. And he came out and just took that damn W. Even though they were trying to give it, they were going to try any way possible to give that to Joshua. Sam with another one. Thanks again. He says, it was bizarre, but I thought AJ was very complimentary for Usyk beating him at his best twice shocked. Yeah, I'm with you, man. Um, it, it was, it was weird because Joshua would go from making an excuse about his size, him being a big guy. So he gets tired him, uh, picking up boxing late. So he's not as skilled as Usyk, you know, making excuses and basically taking shine off Usyk's win and kind of like backhanded insults to Usyk right in front of his face. And then he'd follow it up with, man, but Ukrainians are tough. And props to Usyk, hip, hip, hooray. It was really weird, dude. It was just weird. And again, he almost reverted to a childlike state. It just, it, it felt like a teenager or something um, in that moment. But again, he owned it and apologized. So like, why beat up on the dude? It's not like he went on for a year blaming spiked water or some shit, right? So I do find it funny that some of the very people that are having fun with uh, Anthony Joshua right now had nothing to say when Fury basically took a couple years off to let st a steroid scandal blow over or uh, Wilder, you know, pretended that Mark Breland or basically charged Mark Breland with attempted murder. And, you know, people were just cool with that. Uh, uh, RT has an interesting question here real quick before I get to the preview. He says, can you explain people saying Joshua has a better resume than Fury? 
Absolutely. It's pretty easy to explain. Um, listen, you rate Fury higher because Fury has better wins in the sense that his wins over Wilder were more exciting, higher level fights, uh, at least in the Western world in America. And the win over Klitschko, albeit with an asterisk over it because he was on steroids that year, um, he beat Klitschko when Klitschko was the champion, right? And he had been the champion for a decade. So Fury rates higher, and you have to rate Fury above Joshua. But in terms of fights against top 10 guys, fighting consistently good opposition, Joshua's resume is light years better than Fury's. We still don't know how good Deontay Wilder is. We just don't know because he's so unproven. I want to see Wilder Joshua. I really want to see that fight. And if Wilder lines up Joshua and knocks him out in two rounds, okay. Suddenly Fury's wins over Wilder move up in the world. You know, if Wilder fights Usyk and knocks him out in the first round, and then fights Joshua and knocks him out in two rounds, and then fights Joe Joyce and drills him in five rounds, suddenly Fury's wins over him look a lot different. And suddenly Deontay Wilder looks a lot different just as a fighter himself, right? But that hasn't happened. Deontay Wilder's best win is Luis Ortiz, whose best win was Bryant Jennings coming off a loss. But Luis Ortiz wasn't even cleared to fight medically the day before. I'm talking Friday, before their fight scheduled on Saturday. In fact, they flew in a fighter, PBC did, to replace Ortiz just in case the commission didn't approve him. They approved him Saturday morning. Dude was on blood pressure medication. That's Wilder's best win. Okay. And that's Fury's best win, at least when he was, you know, being tested by Vada. Um, if you don't care about steroids and all that, then Klitschko. But dude, top to bottom, the resume, Joshua has fought more consistently better opposition. He just has. He has the best resume in terms of names than anybody in the division. I don't really think that can be denied. Honestly. So win, lose, or draw, he's got the best names overall, top to bottom. All right, preview time, everybody. Uh, this Saturday, August 27, there's really only one big card of note. We don't have a whole lot going on. The next big fight is the rubber match between Canelo Alvarez and Gennady Golovkin. Of course, that's on September 17th. But uh, this Saturday, August 27th, at the Hard Rock Hotel and Casino in Tulsa, Oklahoma, it is top rank on ESPN. And several of their recent American Olympian signings are fighting. Richard Torrance Jr., Delante Johnson. In the main event, it is Jose Pedraza of Puerto Rico going up against Richard Comey of Ghana in a 10-round, 140-pound fight. Both men coming off of losses. And hey, man, if you're going to take a Puerto Rican and a guy from Ghana, what better place than Tulsa, Oklahoma? That makes, I don't know, man. I, I don't know. Um, I, I kid, top rank. I get why you put this card there in Oklahoma. Um, it should be a fun little crowd there. Also, uh, heavyweight prospect Jared Anderson, his first fight of 2022, lost a little bit of momentum, going up against Serbian fighter Miljan Ravkanen and Efea Jagba, his first fight of 2022, coming off of a loss. Uh, going up against Hungarian heavyweight Joseph Darmos. And I think the plan here for top rank, probably, possibly, 
is to get Jared Anderson eventually in a fight against F.A. Ajagba, which would be fun and entertaining. All right. Let us check the – that's it for the preview, man. I told you guys that would be quick. Let me check the chat real quick. And maybe we'll get to some calls. We'll take as many calls as we can. We got to keep the calls brief this time, guys. And I know I've said that recently. And I've gone back in my word. We've had some 10, 15-minute calls. Can't do that this week. <clears throat> okay, I think we're caught up on chat pretty good. Now that I've offended everybody. Let's go to those calls. All right. Looks like we got Jack and um, we got Jack, Nacho, and Ceylon on deck. So let's jump to this first call from Jack. All right. Jack, what's up, man? How you doing? Hey, I'm doing good. I just got a bunch of groceries. So uh, just got done with that. Uh, but, um, dude, the, the fights this weekend were crazy. Uh, one thing I want to address is that Anthony Joshua, I think, um, and this isn't trying to be a dick, I think he might have a borderline personality disorder. Yeah. And I swear to God, that's not, I don't think he was trying to be a dick, but the way he came off, um, <clears throat> sorry, I just got done moving a bunch of stuff. So, um, the way he reacted, and I looked, I just looked at on Twitter, like another video of it. Um, it seems that he was trying to say to Usyk, I could still beat your ass in a street fight, but you beat me in boxing. That's what it, what it you know what like. I mean? Yeah, that's what said, it felt like. He said, you're strong. He said, you're strong. You're not strong, but you know why you beat me? Because you're skilled. He said, you're not strong. And he tried to size him up and just prove I can do whatever the fuck I want. And just the way he, uh, he was just so sore about it, but at the same time he wanted, and just the way he acts like other stuff, He's real quiet, real, um, and to be a boxer, you kind of got to be fucked up a little bit. Like, <laughs> I know it kind of sounds crazy, but no, like, true. Uh, like me and myself, I've dealt with my shit. Uh, you seem like a guy who's been through the ringer a little bit, just the, the tough old Detroit attitude. <laughs> <laughs> but um, what you call it? Uh, it seems like Anthony Joshua does. He might have borderline person, and that's that's okay. But um, it was just really disrespectful the Ukraine flag thing, and then it seemed to me that like he was really happy to be done because just me after sparring like really tough guys i'll say to them you're so skilled because i just want to be friends with them afterwards and it was like a tough it was like a tough night so um you know, uh sorry my mom's like what the fuck are you doing because i still got groceries on load i kind of had to like finish uh what's my thought so shit i lost my train of thought okay so anthony joshua borderline personality disorder so um it seemed, it seemed to me he wanted to be friends with Usyk because he just got the fights done with, but he also wanted to say at the same time, like, like fuck you, I'm better than you, in the same way. Like you said, like a spoiled brat type of way. Yeah. Um, and then um, the Zhang Hergovich fight, you were saying how if they went to the body, they could um, hurt, or, or hurt, or if Zhang went to the body, hurt Hergovich. Dude, these heavyweights are tanks, man. If you hit a uh, heavyweight as hard as you can to the body, you're probably not going to hurt them. I'm telling you, man. It depends. Are, it when, depends on the guy. When? Yeah, when do you see heavyweight knockout? I know. They're usually up top. Uh, but but I have seen plenty of heavyweight fine. knockouts where a guy was tired and somebody went downstairs and then came back upstairs. And that's all I'm saying for Zang. He could have went downstairs and then threw that right hook upstairs um, and got it done. That's just what I saw, man. He didn't go to the body enough, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, that, that's a fair point, but I didn't score the fight. I did not think there was going to be a chance in hell that the fight was going 12 rounds. So Me I was too. very, I, I just, did you score it watching it the first time? 
Yeah, I mean, I didn't officially score it, but I just remember seeing it live the first time, and I was like, man, I think Hergovic edged this shit. I, I thought, like, 115-113, that kind of a score, I was I was fine with that, you know? As I said to my friend, I had a bet with my friend saying this fight goes under eight rounds, and that would be, that seems like a pretty safe bet, right? I was like, yeah. oh, man, I'm about to just easy money. I'm Like, I'm fucking stealing money from him. And every time I do a, a easy bet like this, this motherfucker ends up winning. Like, and this dude's a doctor. It's like, bro, what the fuck do you need any, like, $20 boxing bet for? <laughs> but, um, no, it's, uh, you think that, I'm surprised it went 12. I am really surprised, but I wasn't really scoring. But it seemed to me like Zhang probably pulled it off. But at the same time, it seemed that, her, by the way, I tweeted around in, like, round six that not only does Hergovich look like Vitaly Klitschko, but he has his chin, too. Because I don't think any other heavyweight can well Deontay Wilder can obviously knock out Hergovich, but um, he probably wouldn't. I mean, if we're talking about one punch wise, but if we're talking about just he- other heavyweights, bro, how the hell are you going to knock that guy out? Yeah, that was incredible chin. Yeah, I mean, Michael, do you think you could knock that guy out with your hardest punch? No, probably not. No, that's that's a massive man with <laughs> with a great chin. That's why I say, like, if, if you know. Look, some of the body shots that AJ landed on Usyk, that's the kind of the, those uppercuts to the body. That's what I wanted to see Zhang do. And that's how you get a guy like that to kind of lower his guard. And that's how you can hurt him. You know, um, he did put him down, yeah. you know, but that was a flash knockdown. It, it was a, you know, off balance kind of thing. But no, dude, dude, hey, 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 I just realized uh, when we we're looking back at it, do you remember when the guys kept slipping in the, in the ring they kept flipping i believe that was the first instance of well he got hit yes and i think he said to himself i get he i felt the punch i guess he knocked me down and that's why he didn't complain but i do think that um that was a slip from the amount of punishment he took from zhang and he was able to stand up and it seemed that to me that was just a slip but um dude that was a great fight um like i said Hergovich, like i know chins aren't everything in boxing but dude that was like some un earthly god shit like zang showed a great chin too but dude he was just taking so many like round six he took like 30 punches right to the head (laughs) bro what are you doing like defend yourself uh i was gonna ask you who do you think wins uh hergovich and the wild deontay wilder in their prime prime for prime i gotta take wilder well i'm gonna take actually dude i don't know because Hergovich, like you said, he has a really right? good chin. And if Hergovich lands one one shot on Wilder, he's done. And Wilder can't fight backing up. Um, he's never been able to fight like big, strong guys that have some skill. So I, I don't know, dude. That's a competitive fight. Wilder would land that right hand, though. And if he could, the difference between Wilder and Zhang is if he if he hurts Hergovich, he ain't gonna let him off the hook. He's gonna finish him. What do you mean if he, dude? Wilder can hurt anybody. I mean, have you like? I'm not a Wilder fan, and his he, fans are he can, but you got to land the punch. No, exactly. That's what I'm saying. You said he'll land it a lot. I'll be like, Wilder lands one flush right hand. Hergovich is going down. Well, I well, I mean, I mean, like he's he's going to land touch right hands. He's going to land jabs, but that that eraser right hand, he's got to really step into that and have the perfect length on it. And I don't know, I don't know if he lands that early against Hergovich. I, I don't know. I'd love to see that fight, though. That's one of those kind of fights I'd love to see, but that's one of those kind of fights that Wilder will never take. You know, it, it's never going to happen. Yeah. So, um, Fury, dude, Fury's just a coward. 
Like, honestly, like, if we're being dead ass, you're just a coward, and I don't think he'll fight Usyk. And I'll tell you what, like, I know Joshua was saying you're not strong, but Usyk, Usyk is strong. I mean, if you can knock out Dave Allen and fucking sparring, then you can knock out just about anybody. <laughs> Did you see that? Where he, like, uh, yeah. he knocked Dave Allen out. Homeboy walked right into it. And he, yeah, and if you can knock out Dave Allen, you can knock out just about any heavyweight. And I think Fury, um, people shit on AJ a lot, and I understand why afterwards. But, dude, after seeing uh, – oh, yeah, one point I want to touch on. I know I'm going from point to point, but um, – they yeah, we got, we got to wrap it up here in a minute so I can get to the next call. So, which you? Yeah. Uh, Go ahead. Chris Mann said at the beginning of Joshua uh, Usyk 2. He's like, this is like Canelo, uh, Canelo Golovkin 2. Like, Joshua standing his ground and shit. And I was like, I was worried. I immediately texted my friends. I'll be like, dude, I think they're going to rob Joshua tonight. Like, they robbed Golovkin in the second fight. Like, Joshua. You mean rob Usyk? Uh, uh, no, but I was saying uh, they were going to rob him like they were going to rob Usyk like oh. they robbed Golovkin because yeah. Joshua fought better in the second fight than he did in the first. Yep. Yeah, and I don't know if – did you notice this too, dog? Like in between rounds, when they were showing highlights, they were only showing what Joshua did. I saw that yeah. a lot early on. I was like, hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, one more thing. Just I just got to say, I don't think it was a 7-5 close fight. I had it like 10-2 or 9-3. It, it wasn't very close. Outside of like round nine and like one of the early rounds, I don't think it was close at all. Like at all. It was a demolition job. Outside of round nine, like Joshua didn't really win another round, clearly. Like maybe one of the first two, like I said, but that's about it. All right. I hear you, brother. Go uh, put, your, go put your groceries away. All right, Jack. Peace. Oh yeah, man. all right. I'll talk to you later. Peace. Uh, RT makes a good point here in the chat. I wanted to mention this before I get to Nacho's call. He said, "For Wilder to go so long with Fury, he must have something." And that, that's a really good point. Uh, Fury is not an explosive puncher. He's not a big one punch knockout kind of guy, but he is a big man. And um, he's certainly faster and a lot more elusive and, and athletic than Hergovich. So, you know, I would absolutely favor Wilder over Hergovich. I absolutely would. But it would be very interesting if Hergovich was able to slip the right hand, block it, catch it, whatever, which he didn't do against Zhang. But let's also remember, Zhang is a southpaw. And Zhang is a lot naturally bigger um, and stronger than Wilder. So um, Wilder, of course, is lightning fast compared to Zhang and Hergovich. So that would be an interesting fight. But see, like, that's the kind of fight that, unfortunately, with Wilder, we just never got that matchup, a, a fight like that. We never got him in there with a guy that's just kind of at that level where he's not elite or whatever, but he's top 10 uh, in his physical prime. We never got that fight for Wilder. So we'll just never know. We'll always have to guess. You know, it just it would have been really cool if Wilder fought guys like White and um I don't know, Parker and you know, later on, let's say a Hergovich or you know, somebody like that. Um even a Joe Joyce, like he's just not gonna fight any of those guys. So we'll never know. We'll never know. Okay, back to the phones. Let's get Nacho's call here. Nacho, what's up, man? Hey Mike, what's going on? Uh nothing much. <clears throat> um, I'm I'm not gonna take too long because, like you said, I'm sure you got other people. I just wanted to touch on a couple of the main fights. Uh, with Joshua Usyk, I thought uh, Joshua shouldn't be ashamed of his performance. 
he performed a hell of a lot better, I thought, in this fight than he did in the first fight. Yep. Um, I thought it was really close. I thought that Usyk did enough at the end in the championship rounds to pull away and, and seal the win. But um, I was totally shocked at his uh, post-fight reaction. I really didn't think Joshua was going to, you know, go and just go uh, NWO Hulk Hogan on us after the fight and start picking up belts and throwing them on the ground and taking Usyk's flag and just kind of being a jerk about the whole situation. That was really strange. Um, I mean, I, I agree with you, Mike. I, I give him credit for apologizing the following day and basically admitting that he was a jerk about the whole situation. But yeah, that was, that was just really strange. I just wonder how much of that is just the weight on his shoulders of being like looked at as like kind of the, the, the man in the UK. I wonder how much of that finally just got to him and he just like snapped, you know, yeah. like, cause I think that guy just had a lot of pressure on his shoulders. And I think that that might've just been, where it just boiled over and he lost it, you know, but it, it just showed he's human and, you know, it, it can get to anybody. And I, I give him credit for apologizing, but it was really bizarre to see him go off like that. Never expected that for sure. Um, and then, uh, the, uh, the fight I really want to talk about, cause I've been talking about it on Twitter with you and other people. I'm sorry, but those two judges who gave, Pueyo nine to three against Agmedov should be fucking banned forever. Yes. Yes. That was ridiculous. There is no way in hell watching that fight twice that you could score nine rounds for Alberto Pueyo. I'm sorry. Agmedov basically went to the body and beat the hell out of him all night long. If Pueyo isn't pissing blood or has broken ribs at this point after that beating he took to the body, I would find that unbelievable. He literally was getting the shit beat out of him to the body all night long. And you could see it. I mean, I give the guy credit. He stood in there and took it for 12 rounds, but he got beat up physically. And for the judges to literally sit there and say, because he landed, you know, the occasional headshot and and a flashy combination here and there that he won nine rounds. That's insane. That That's completely unfair to Akhmedov. It, it seems like the PBC must have something against Akhmedov because how do you screw this guy twice? I know, Like man. That's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. That guy should be a two-time champion at this point, but it, it's just pathetic to see him get screwed like that. I really hope they, they give him a shot. If I'm Akhmedov's team, I tell the PBC, I don't want another fight except a rematch against this fucking guy. Mm-hmm. I, I should get a, another shot at this title. That That's unbelievable. They screwed him that way. Um, Lipinets and Figueroa. Glad to see Figueroa finally decided that it's, it's time to call it a wrap. You could see that guy really had nothing left his last couple of fights before this one. Yep. So to see him finally realize that, you know, he's done and he's walking away. Uh, good for him. But that guy had had so many issues over the last five, six years, Mike, that I'm surprised it took him this long to to hang him up. I really expected him to retire a few years ago when he was getting busted uh, for DUIs and all this other stuff that was going on outside the ring. So um, credit to him for, you know, trying to rebuild his career and, and trying to get himself back in there. But 
it's time for him to go. He just got beat up and he has absolutely nothing left. Um, and then, uh, what was it? Um, with Navarrete and Abayas, I agree with you, Mike. I think Navarrete was losing that fight on points because to me, out of the first five rounds, it was really hard for me to give Navarrete more than one round. Right. I really me thought Baez was, was outboxing him and making him look bad. And to, to give him some kind of leeway, him not fighting for almost a whole year, and then the reports that he had to cut a really significant amount of weight just to get down to featherweight, I'm sure that played a factor into him being rusty. But if they're going to keep him at 126, like you said, Mike, they got to get this guy a fight every few months because you see that he's not going to stay at 26 long if he's going to be sitting on the shelf uh, multiple months at a time. He's got to fight at least three times a year to fight in that division. He looked huge the other night. He looked like he could be a welterweight yeah. when he got in the ring. So if they're going to keep him active, then he should stay at 26. But if they're not, then they need to move him up to 30. That way the weight cut isn't as crazy uh, for him. And then uh, lastly, um, the uh, Santian uh, Luna fight. I think Luna's style bothered Santiago a lot. Like, he was so awkward and, and kind of, you know, tough to fight that it bothered him. But same thing as Akhmedov, he went to the body all night long, and he I thought that's how he won the fight. But like like you said, Mike, I had that fight 6-4, to four, yep. and so seeing those two judges score at 10 nothing, <laughs> I was like, my God, like, what are these guys watching? Like, it, it's tough to justify some of these guys still being judges when it feels like they fill their scorecards out before the fight even starts. Yeah, it, it's just pathetic and, and, it, and it's tough to watch. But, you know, until they do something about that, like we're still going to keep seeing these horrible scorecards as, uh, you know, fights go along. If you keep, if you don't punish these guys, then they're just going to keep doing the same thing over and over. Yep. So, all right, Mike, I'm sure you got other people. Thanks a lot, Nacho. Good stuff, man. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, I agree with literally every word of Nacho's call. <laughs> every every word of it. Uh, Sam A with another super chat. Thank you, Sam. He says, Wilder's chin is gone. If anyone lands, it's over. Yeah, we'll find out, man. Look, I don't think Hellenius, he's going to fight Robert Hellenius in October, right? I don't think Hellenius is fast enough, explosive enough to get clean to that chin. I think Wilder's just going to be a little too elusive and fast for him, and it's going to be Wilder landing the big shot. But if Wilder gets in there against the right opponent and they're able to touch that chin and, and push him back a little bit, I'm I'm with you, man. Um, and Wilder psychologically has shown that, you know, there's some things going on there too. So if somebody does land something big, is he going to panic? Uh, what's going to happen? I don't know. But, yeah, I would think after those beatings he took against Fury, that third fight, man, he took an absolute beating. He landed a couple hard shots there too, but I really think that's going to be a career-changing beating he took in that fight. He's never going to be the same guy. Absolutely freaking not. Okay, uh, back to the phones we go. Let's keep it rolling here. We got 901. I think it's a C-Line on the line. What's up, brother? Yeah, it sure is. Uh, Mike, I got to take issue with something you said about uh, 
the judges and Pacquiao and Thurman. I don't, I don't, can't accept for a minute that the PBC is going to hire Pacquiao to boost Spence and then sabotage it on purpose so Thurman could win. That's, that's nonsense. Pacquiao was at PBC to boost Spence. That's it. Same way Mikey was there to boost Spence. You know, they're not going to hire him to fight Spence for a third, for a third of three fights and then sabotage it. Let me ask you this. That whole thing. The monkey wrench was um, was Spence's injury, but uh, Pacquiao was hired for one reason to boost Spence. Well, I, I agree I with you on that. Can, I'm sorry to cut you off, Sulan, but I, I want to make I want to ask if you remember um, when Spence fought Mikey Garcia. Uh, PBC had just signed Pacquiao, and Pacquiao got up in the ring. I don't know if you remember that, but I was there in Texas, and I remember Pacquiao got in the ring. Um, with Spence and they were talking about doing that fight then. And there was a big reaction there in the crowd. It was negative. And there was a big reaction on social media that was negative and they postponed that fight. Then of course, Spence ended up having a car accident and all this stuff, but there was a negative fan and media reaction when they originally started talking about that fight. And that's why I For just years, wonder, because Thurman was undefeated. He was undefeated when he fought Pacquiao. Yeah, well, but I'm I do sure. agree with you. They they brought Pac in to boost Spence. I mean, he certainly was. Period. I'm sure the people who made that Pacquiao Thurman fight knew as well as I did that Thurman couldn't beat him. And yeah, but you got to remember that negative reaction. You're talking about hardcore boxing fans who never uh, were at past the point said. I don't want to see Spence fight. I don't want to see Pacquiao fight Spence or um, or uh, was it uh, Crawford? Past the point. At some point, when when all the boxing fans wanted to see Crawford Pacquiao, uh, uh, Grandpa Bob gave us Pacquiao um, <laughs> Bradley three. Yep. No one wanted that. Everyone wanted to see him fight Crawford. Well, the time passed, and the hardcore boxing fans, none, none of none of us. It was all over all the chat groups and everything. Uh, I don't want to see Pacquiao mangled by Spence. Hey, I just passed the time. I don't want to see Pacquiao mangled by Crawford, whatever. But that's not the target audience of these broadcasts. You know, hardcore boxing fans are a tiny, small number of people. You know, they didn't. PBC didn't hire Pacquiao to impress us. You know. The matchmakers aren't making matches to impress us. They're I agree with you. Cock blocking, but They're if cock blocking the matches we all want to but see. But if Pacquiao beat, they, they, they need the numbers. If Thurman, if Thurman beat Pacquiao, wouldn't that increase his standing with casual fans and make a fight between Spence and Thurman a big fight? That's nothing compared to a global superstar losing to Spence in the passing of the torch fight. Come on, you're not going to spend Cadillac money on a pencil. Okay. And go, Fair oh, enough. well, that's got a pencil. That's okay. <laughs> no way, man. God knows how much money they lost on Pacquiao. I mean, that was an investment. And that investment, investment crashed, you yeah. know? Uh, Ugas got him. <laughs> yeah. Well, so. he spoiled that party. Also, let's, uh, yeah, yeah, what a party trooper. Um, what was the, it was the, uh, it was the eye injury, really. But, um, yeah, Ugas wasn't supposed to win. Oh well, and um, 
I want to ask you, what about uh, this weekend's uh, uh, Lipinets fight? Wasn't that this weekend? Yes. Yeah, I want to hang up and I want to hang up so I can hear all about that. I mi- I missed the whole thing. Do you got anything to say about that one? Yeah, Lipinets did his thing, man. He this is a guy that stays in shape between fights. I've seen Lipinets at different like functions, um, especially when I was still out in LA. Like I've been to just different. Um, boxing functions. I'll just say that different stuff like red carpet stuff and different media stuff. And I've seen Lipinets hanging out. He's always in shape. He's always on weight. He's always in shape. He stays in the gym and he originally was not even set to be on that card. PBC added him on the undercard late because they sensed that there were issues with Broner. And then when Broner. They don't plan B with that. Yes, absolutely. And Lipinets made the best of his opportunity and he got in there and he basically whooped Omar's ass, but Omar Figueroa had nothing left had nothing left at all. So uh, Lipinets did his thing, but uh, I don't know how much it means, but it's a good win for, for uh, Lipinets. Roger that. Well, uh, I totally forgot about it. After the uh, big fight this weekend, I went to sleep. <laughs> I don't blame you, man. I get up for <laughs> Dude, I get it for work before, so you know I, I missed everything that came after uh, the Saudi Arabia fight. Yeah, so, darn yeah. it! All right, well, thank you for catching 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 us up. Thank you for catching me up. I sure appreciate it. Thanks, man. Good call, brother. Good stuff, man. All right, you take care, bud. Bye. All right. Yeah, I mean, I get what Celan's saying. I, I just. Why would Feldman score that fight for Thurman? I guess then it was just flat out him being a shit judge. But there was no way Thurman won that fight with Pacquiao. Absolutely no freaking way. So um, I just found it kind of bizarre. You know, I found it bizarre. And Feldman's had a couple scorecards like that in recent years. And it it just, you know, he gets it right most of the time but so do most judges. Most fights, most rounds in fights are easy to score. So getting it right most of the time really don't mean shit. It really doesn't. All right, we got Thad on the line. Let's see what Thad's got to say. Thad, how you doing, man? How'd you do with your bets this weekend? Well, I I, I lost, uh, but I had a saving grace in the Lipinets fight, and I wanted to talk to people on Friday because that was a steal. Uh, Lipinets came in at minus uh, 300. Wow. I mean, and then by stoppage, he was only minus uh, 125. I mean, there is a lot of potential there. I, I just got killed on the, uh, the Ergovic by knockout. And, um, you know, that really spoiled a lot of my plans. I had him straight up and, you know, it salvaged a lot. But the uh, I, I, I did invest some in uh, Usyk by, by stoppage late and a little bit on Joshua by um, split decision, which was 40 to 1. Right before the fight, I, I put in a couple of those and also the uh, the decision as well. So overall, I lost a couple of units, um, but, you know, it wasn't anything crazy. The good thing about taking large um, odds is that you don't have to put up a lot of money. You know, a couple hundred here, you know, could net you big money. But I didn't bet over $1,000 because every, every one of these bets were long odds. Okay. So pretty much broke even overall. But um. What, what the last caller was saying about the split decision, here's how it was explained to me long ago, that a fighter can stay relevant when he has a split decision on his resume uh, in a big fight. Um, I think it, 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 it keeps them 
you know, in the money conversation. I think with PBC, the insurance policy was, well, if Thurman, uh, you know, loses, you know, it was a split decision. We can market him. It was into an all-time great. It's a good point because I've seen a lot of people on Twitter and stuff say, man, that fight with Thurman and Pacquiao was close. So then there were even people talking about Broner's fight with Pacquiao. Man, I think Broner, he fought really well. So you're right. It really works with marketing with casual fans. That's a great point, Fed. And if anyone wants to anyone wants to argue with me about that, just look at Floyd Mayweather versus Canelo. That was the same deal. It was yeah. Canelo had a draw on one card. He won maybe two or three rounds. He was weight drained and he was he was green. No way he was in that fight. So, you know, it, that's what it's all about. Okay. So people want to want to talk about judging. Uh, Mike, if I were you, I would bring up uh, to the ring. Uh, board of directors to see about doing either a monthly or a biannual or annual ranking of judges or have a list of like the, uh, the Adelaide bird list where it's the worst judges and worst performances of the, um, the semi-annual, um, you know, report card or end of the year to hold these judges accountable. Because like you said earlier, nobody's holding them accountable in the commissions. Well, it's about time the fans and the, um, the media say, no, we're going to put your name out there and air your dirty laundry, make you look like a fool when you score fights like a fool. Because if you're that incompetent, you shouldn't be a judge. So it has to be something else. And Glenn Selman kind of you know, fits in that realm. He also scored for Deontay Wilder very big when he fought Ortiz. And nobody had Ortiz winning, uh, losing that fight at the time he got stopped. Oh, so, right. you know, there's you're a right. lot of smoking guns. A lot of smoking guns with these these clowns. But um, I'd love to talk to you about AJ's um, his debacle after the fight, which I thought was deplorable. The worst thing I've ever seen in my life, maybe besides uh, Tyson biting Holyfield's ear. Um, I think it's right right there. And, and um, Jack brought up a great point that it was really a psychological narcissist. He didn't say narcissist. He said borderline personality, which I know what that is. It's not that. What it is is malignant narcissism. That's what AJ is. And we could break it down some other time and it goes a lot deeper, which I'm not going to discuss, but his, what he did to Usyk was a slap in the face. It was, it was a show of uh, bravado that, yeah, you may have beaten me, but I'm still better than you. And, you know, he tried to bully him at the end when, when all the cameras were on and, and he knew Usyk wasn't going to slap him or do anything of the kind. You know, he, he, insulted him he insulted ukraine he insulted lomachenko and um igus klimas also all of these guys he i mean he was disrespectful to the highest degree i have no sympathy for anthony joshua you know how he may be able to buy us out a million times over great great but let's see in 10 15 years let's, let's see how he's doing because let me ask you like this that, Dad. let me ask you this yeah sure no one's brought this up would joshua have would he had reacted the same way had he just lost a close decision to Deontay Wilder? Would he have pulled that stuff? Absolutely not. No, he, he sure wouldn't. Absolutely have. not. He because he knows Wilder no, and his, his crew, Wilder's crew, would have yeah. jumped in that ring and whooped absolutely. his fucking ass. He knows that. That's exactly. Yeah. And he would have, he wanted to keep, he also would have rather lost to Wilder based off his message to Eddie Chambers. In, in the text yeah, message. Yeah, yeah. I think I there, that man. plays a lot into it. Yeah. I, I just think that plays a lot into what losing to Usyk did to him psychologically. He can't fathom losing to him 
So he has to make it about now. Well, I'm a better street fighter than you. I'm bigger than you, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's the same thing as some, some idiot losing in basketball, you know, and he, and he steals the basketball, you know, for everyone else after the game. That's kind of what AJ is, you know? And, uh, you know, I, I even turned into uh, that video to uh, my ex-girlfriend, who's a, a psychologist, a registered therapist, and she has her own clinic, and she broke it down to me in not-so-simple terms. She knew exactly what that was. I didn't even have to go into the background. Mm-hmm. The guy's mentally disturbed. And uh, nobody has the balls, like you said, in his camp to mention anything about it. You know, they're all yes-men. So that's what it is. But, Mike, I am, you, you could gong me at any time, but I just want to put this out there because everybody is concentrating on, on AJ's behavior. Let's stand up and say Alexander Usyk is an all-time great fighter. He's on his way to being an all-time great heavyweight. If he beats Fury, he'll be top three, I think, in the last 50 years. That would be my assessment if he beats Fury. Okay? But, but nobody's talking about it. Well, he's going to beat and Fury I think it's, first. It's, it's a, it's a I, so so yeah. I, I hear what you're saying, Thad. I, look, I think what, what, what Usyk has done is special in the fact that he's done this within 20 pro fights. It's unprecedented. No one's mm-hmm. done this. And he's got the wins over Joshua, but he's got to get that undisputed. He's get, whether it comes against Fury. Oh, absolutely. Right? If he gets that, then we can have that conversation. But until then, he's yeah. on the way, as you said, but he's got to get there first. He's on the way. Yeah. Let me just rattle off what he did, what he accomplished really quick, Mike. Christoph Glavatsky in Poland. Okay. These are all their hometowns. Michael Hunter in America. Right. Marco Huck, very underrated fighter, brutalized Marco Huck in Germany, his backyard. Myers Breedis, his closest fight in Latvia. Rogasiev in war in Russia when they were like, you know, like you discussed pre-war. Tony Bellew in the UK, Derek Chisora in the UK, another underrated win. Joshua in the UK and Joshua in Saudi Arabia. That that is a, a list of all lists of what a fighter's accomplished over two weight classes, pound for pound. There's no, there's no question this guy is the pound for pound best fighter in boxing. I agree with that. I just think it's kind of interesting that Lomachenko, you know, he was always um, the guy, you know, in, in Ukraine, and, and Usyk was always secondary to him. It's just amazing sometimes how things break down with management and, and, and just bad luck. I, I think Lomachenko has the worst luck. The pro game is is very different fighter. from the amateur game. You know, um, Loma's it amateur is. standouts were just – he's a top five all-time amateur. But the pro yeah. game's different, and, and things have lined up differently mm-hmm. for Usyk, you know? Yeah, and Lomachenko, you know, he was snake bit in the second fight against Salido when Salido came in uh, two and a half pounds heavier, lost his title in the scale. And, and, and this is where I think top rank did him a disservice. They, they didn't protect him. They, they let Lomachenko do what he wanted to do and he wanted to fight and win the title in record time. He fought a guy that was naturally two, two sizes bigger because he didn't make weight. And I think, you know, it didn't hurt his career, but it, in, in a lot of people's eyes, that's an excuse to knock Lomachenko. And, uh, you know, and then coming in fighting injured. That's another no-no. That's, that's his own fault. That's his management yeah, but, fault. You know, he was injured in the Theo fight. I, I think that Go ahead. specifically with the Salido fight, he lost a close decision to an experienced yeah. veteran professional fighter in his second fight. To me, that loss, me as a fan, his stock rose after that loss. Yeah. You know? I well, mean, logical people. Yeah, Lo- but 
there's yeah. I know there's very few of us in the world. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you uh, know yeah. what I'm saying? Like there's the detractors, the LDBC. You know they'll use that forever against them, even though it's not but, true. Like I thought he won the fight. He he had Salito holding on for dear life at the end. Yeah, but okay. they're they're if even if he beat Salito, they'd say, oh, so what? You beat a, a part-time Uber driver for your title. <laughs> like they're gonna find yeah. something. So I wouldn't even worry about that. Like yeah. they're, 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 no. You know, idiots are always going to be idiots i just uh yeah i just uh you know i credit you know the, the the boxing program over in ukraine to develop those those fighters the way they did and um you know they grew up you know as friends and um you know lomachenko's father was a big part of that and and you he deserves the credit you know and he i don't see him getting as much for what he's just accomplished and um, i'm hoping that you know, this fight with Fury coming up, and I will say they're going to fight. And I, I've actually yeah. heard some rumors that it's going to be in December in Saudi. I can't. See I just that, think that's so close. Yeah, it's I, so I hope close so. to the end of the year. I, I can't. See I that. do too. Yeah. I, I think that will be a little bit of a. You know, I think it, it benefits Usyk if it's in March or, or May. I think May would be perfect. You know, for the um, you know, if you want pay per view, you know, single de Mayo. You know, you have the most people, you know, the most eyes. But um, if it happens in December, that's a quick turnaround for Usyk. Obviously, that means he really didn't take much damage in the AJ fight. I really didn't think he did. And for the record, I had him winning, uh, same as you, 116, 112. You could stretch it to 17, so 111 or 112 with an even round. But you can't go any lower than 15, 13. And, you know, you're you're really, you know, stretching it, giving people – you know, every swing round when you score that fight any lower than 15, right. 13 in, in, in his favor. So, you know, Mike, if you have another caller, you know, feel free to yeah, knock me we, out I here. Gotta, but... I got to bounce because we're up on the two-hour limit. Okay, so Mike. We got to roll, but thanks, sure. Dad. So when you have – yeah, yeah. whenever you have your, your other show on Friday, I'd love to, you know, talk about some other stuff. But, okay. you know, it's great to, to hear your uh, one-hour uh, talk you know, at the end of that fight, it was a good ride home for me. So cool. I got some entertainment. Appreciate it. Thanks man. a lot, man. Thank you. Have a good one. Bye. All right. There he goes real quick. Uh, one last super chat from Sam. He says, uh, keep Thurman landed tons of shots on Manny Pacquiao. Both guys faces showed it. The knockdown was the difference in that fight. Thurman came back big. Now I do remember Sam. Um, first of all, thanks for that super chat. But uh, I remember Thurman did come back in the, you know, later rounds and made it close. And you really saw Manny's age in that fight, in my opinion, because Thurman was able to close in and make it more competitive. But for me, and for pretty much 90% of observers, he had built up such a big lead early on that there's Thurman needed a knockout to win. So anyway, guys, um, that is it. Uh, two hour episode. Boom. I figured we would go two hours. Uh, appreciate it guys. Make sure that you like pay the fee, share the show. And we'll see you next time. See you at the fights. Peace.